Hallelujah. Uh, as uh, we get the screens going on, we're going to show a film. And this is actually from uh, the 2020 New South Wales or the Sydney Conference. And the reason why I'm showing this is because we're heading into our Queensland Conference. And uh, as we head into our conference, I want to stir our hearts afresh this year for the vision of our fellowship. And that is exactly what Hemi prayed. Uh, discipleship, evangelism, discipleship and church planting. And, you know, we we're out there praying and it was saying, you know what, let's pray that this, uh, you know what, vision is not only just being put on banners and that, but it becomes the very heartbeat of you and I, that it becomes our lifestyle, that we do go and make disciples, that we go and evangelize. And that, you know, one day, I believe it, man, come on, that we're going to plant a church into all the nations. Because you know what I'm telling you, uh, as we live in these last days, and it's, it's no wonder why God, you know what, the, the body of Christ, you know, there's different hands and parts and stuff. The potter's house is, is like that. There's all different churches out there. The potter's house is, is one of the hands, but I believe it's quite unique. Is because in the last days, I believe as pl churches are planted out everywhere, that we're actually getting ready for the last day's revival to pour out into all these churches worldwide. So, amen. God bless you. I hope this stirs you tonight. Amen. Let's hit the lights and let's uh, watch this film. When it comes to God's divine selection of men or the selection of arrows, this is what we would typically call the calling. And in our conference theme text, God called the King of Israel to accomplish His will. God is still choosing men to accomplish His will today. And there is a very special challenge in turning that calling from a concept to a reality. I grew up in a poor family and we didn't have much growing up. My parents were refugees, come from Vietnam, spent time in the refugee camp and um, they did everything they could to, to take care of us. I remember one night, I was 16 years old, and my uncle came with a pound of marijuana and, and told me to keep it in my room for a couple of days and he'll come back for it. And I came home one night, my father was sitting there with the marijuana on the table. And my father's old school and he looks at me and he said, you wanna stay here, you get rid of these drugs, but if you wanna sell, you pack up your stuff and you leave. And I remember being so furious and angry at my dad. And uh, I packed up my stuff, called my cousin, and I left. And I remember looking to my left side before I left, and my mother was standing there in the kitchen, weeping, crying, son, don't do this. You're getting up dead or in jail like your uncles. And I remember turning away from my mum and walking out that front door. And uh, it wouldn't be about 10 years until I saw my mother again or ever heard from her. I was born into a Christian family, a strong Christian family, where my father was the minister of the church and we were um, heavily involved from a very young age, um, going to outreaches, uh, being dragged along to all the various events and was immersed in the gospel and preaching and uh, concert scenes and a whole vast range of what we experienced at the Potter's House. Having that experience at a young age, it, it kind of uh, caused me to become, I guess, in the uh, early teen years, very familiar with the things of God, treating uh, the house of God with not deliberate disrespect, but treating it as common. I was engaged with the activities. I was engaged with the social aspect of church. 
but I really was not connecting with God. I didn't have a relationship with God. We initially came to Australia in 1979 uh, as refugees, uh, literally during the war, uh, as boat people, uh, that you see some of the footage that you see on, on the news and documentaries. Um, so we virtually came here with nothing. Being accepted in Australia was quite phenomenal for us. When I was four years old, mum and dad used to drill into me, you got to study, you got to be successful, you got to make some money, you got to do what you can because uh, we're in a, another country, another foreign land. My first glimpse of Christianity, if you can call it Christianity, was going to a Catholic school. Um, and we, we came from a Buddhist background, uh, Taoism, which is basically ancestral worship, was part of the cultural norm. And so Christianity wasn't really in the mix. Then later in life, we uh, I went to university, of course, and I met some born-again Christians there. And these born-again Christians started asking me about uh, Jesus and if I believed in Jesus and if I lived for him, and I, I sort of mocked them a little bit. But they said, no, do you, like, do you love Jesus with all your heart? And I went, no. Because of the drugs and the violence that was in part of these gangs, my closest friends, I remember pulling out a gun on them and, and threatening to kill them because I was paranoid. And at 26 years old, I was on the run from the police. And, um, and I was looking at 12 years prison. Uh, it was June 16, 2010, that I pulled into a service station on the run. And I remember walking in there, there was a man that was behind this counter at a petrol station and he confronted me about the truth and invited me out to an event that night. And that night was June 16, 2010. It was a little tiny room with about six people in there. When he preached the gospel, it was as if God was pointing to me and saying, this is your time. It was like God had his hand upon me. He was drawing me to himself. It was that sort of sense. Remember, I was running in the opposite direction. I was in bands. I was in impact teams. I was on outreaches. Uh, every aspect of my life revolved around church, but my heart was not engaged in the spiritual. It had not surrendered to Christ. I had not given my life to Jesus. I was beginning to um, leak, go down a path that I knew wasn't right, but my heart was so cold towards that and conviction and preaching, and I'd been so surrounded by it and immersed by it, it didn't affect me or penetrate anymore. At a rally, a lady came up to me who I knew very well, and she said she'd had a dream about me. And uh, this is when things were beginning to uh, come apart. And she said, God had given a dream about me, and she described exactly what I was doing. She said, you're living a double life. You're, you're, you're doing things that you shouldn't be doing. And you know, uh, I just felt like God wanted me to give that to you. And I was freaked out by that. I was like, man, God is really uh, squeezing in the walls. He's really uh, tightening the noose on me. Really, now looking back, it is the mercy of God that was just trying to rescue me. And I was fighting off the, 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 uh, the lifeguard in the pool. I'm trying to punch and kick and he's trying to rescue me. And eventually it came out where God, God decided he, he's not taking the hints. He's, he's not getting the picture here. And, and I was fully exposed uh, in my sin. And I, had to, I confessed it all and, and laid it all out. And it was at that moment I recognized how much of a sinner I was. I had been fooling myself and the, 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 the scales came off my eyes and I recognized just how, of, how much I needed Jesus. While these people were inviting me to church, I only went because there was a very large youth group there and there was a lot of young girls there. 
but uh, unbeknownst to me, God had another plan. And um, I met my wife actually at one of those services after church. She was a born again Christian. She started asking me questions about Christianity, and, and sooner or later we, we started to date. And uh, the pressure was on then, saying, you know, you need to be converted. So I said, What are you talking about? You know, I treat you well. You know, my wife kept on praying, and she said, Dean, you need to get a revelation of God, even though I was in church. Uh, and then uh, when I was 27, roughly, um, I just was praying in the room, and in, in, in my bedroom, and I said, God, if you're really real, you know, can you just come and meet with me? At that point in time, it was during the day, and um, the Holy Spirit just entered the room. He just showed no interest in church, and it just seemed like everything that he heard in you know, by way of sermons, just went in one ear and out the other, and there was no change in him. And I prayed, just kept praying, and believing that somehow God will do a miracle. But what I didn't expect was just such a powerful, powerful conversion. It was, it was almost like a radical, you know, night to day change. And it blew me away. I watched his conversion, the way he just became a new man, uh, an on-fire Christian, and it just blew me away. When it comes to God's choice of men, it really is a, a, a broad brush. The Bible does specifically say that not many wise, not many mighty, not many nobler, not many people that in the world's eyes would be outstanding and qualify. They're the kinds of people that God really does delight in choosing. And so don't count yourself out. Nobody is beyond the, the use of God in the kingdom of God.
God selects a wide range of people, uh, but not every man is willing to make himself choice uh, or make himself qualify for the calling that God has placed upon his life. That's why for every individual arrow, it really is his responsibility first and foremost uh, in responding to God to make himself choice for the task that God's called him to. I had issues and problems with authority. I absolutely hated the police. And so I come into a Christian church and there's a pastor there, a man that's preaching and challenging me and, and, and telling me you need to get your heart right with God and you can't live like this, the Bible says this, and it's going against my, my nature. And so after giving my life to Jesus, I began getting involved in church. And that was a, a strange time for me because I had already done a lot of those things, but with the wrong motive and my heart wasn't in it. But as God began to deal with me and as sermons were preached, it was no single moment, but just the overall God moving in individual sermons, conversations with other disciples in the church that God began to tug upon my heart that you need to get involved here, that you need to um, surrender your life. And so at Perth Conference on the Thursday night, I was at the front row and then during the altar call, God just met with me. And all I can say, I felt like a sledgehammer just built the living daylight out of me. I wept so hard. Another disciple or friend of mine at that time, Ross, he was he was freaking out. He's saying, what's happening with you? And I said, I don't know, just get pastor. And so he drags me to this room on the side, which was the prayer room. And pastor at that time came in and said, what's wrong, Dean? I said, I know this is real. This calling is real. But I am so scared. I'm so scared. Through that, I just started to absorb the Word of God. I, I started getting revelation. I started reading the Bible you know, from front to back. From that day, I said, you know what? I need to make this calling a reality. And then I just started pursuing God. Uh, even though I had a lot of issues I had to still deal with and a lot of baggage from all my past business dealings. But yeah, God just made a way. When I connected my life uh, with my pastor and, 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 and understood that God had a plan for me, and I remember looking at his life, he would preach the gospel with such passion and fire. And I said, you know, one day I want to be like that. One day I want to preach the gospel like that. Even though our church had six people in it, I was excited that God is doing something in my life during these early years. Being in a young church, we had homeless people come in, drug addicts, alcoholics, people that have been violated. And I remember my pastor challenging me, he said, Johnny, you need to love these people, just as the love was shown to you when you first came through. And so I got married to a beautiful girl um, and we were married for only five weeks and she fell pregnant to our first child. And, um, and we begin to step into ministry and be even more involved in the local church and give ourselves to what God was doing here in the local setting. I felt a shrinking back towards the call to get sent out. Uh, I can't really nail down why. I think I was more, you know, I didn't want to let anyone down. God really just kept pulling and tugging and I kept praying about it and God eventually uh, pulled me in. I became a Bible study leader. Um, I was again playing in song service and bands and ministry, um, getting full back into what I was before, but this time with a heart that genuinely loved people. As he's refining you, it hurts. and. Um and he's trying to purify you so that he can make you pure as gold, ready to be the instrument that he needs you to be. And so while I was in the church, you know, I was going through a lot of stuff you know, financially. Uh, I had done some business dealings that didn't eventuate because of, you know, my, my, I suppose, my drive to be successful. What I learned while I was in the body was really how to love people. 
how to win people, of course, but really what was more critical was how to care for them. Um, you can win them, but if you don't care about them, they're going to die. There is a uh, very special challenge in turning that calling from a concept to uh, a reality. It's a challenge for pastors in regards to uh, the craftsmanship of the arrow and uh, really making the arrow fit for the task. He's got to provide exampleship. He's got to provide some inspiration. He's got to serve that man's calling. He's got to make his time available and make an investment in that young man. It's a challenge for the disciples. They've got to cooperate in that process. And uh, once a man knows that he's called, uh, it's got to change his life. And he's got to submit himself under the leadership of his local church pastor uh, as a man apprenticed to a pastor who's a man under God. And every local church must create an environment of opportunities. This is why sometimes the calendar appears to be well stocked with outreach opportunities and outreach programs and concert scenes and street preaching and street outreaches. The church makes an environment where that young man can begin to prosper and develop. The local church is critical to the formation of men of God.
one of the unique parts of our conference theme scripture is the connection between what the king did and God's involvement. There was this tightly knit combination between the king, the arrows, how many times he struck those arrows on the ground. And unbeknownst to him, his actions were actually calling down from heaven God's power and God's anointing and God's equipping. And that gives us that unique combination of what a man does and what God does in response to that. When I got married to my wife and we, and we had children, uh, we just wanted to be a blessing to the church. We wanted to do whatever was needed. There was an opportunity to lead in song service, opportunity to be an usher, opportunity to run outreaches. And I remember saying to my pastor, Pastor, whatever is available, I want to be involved because I just want to be a blessing to the church, a blessing to people out there so that they can come and know Christ and know the God that I know. After a few years, my pastor called me into his home one day and asked me, would I be prayerful and think mindful about taking over the church? And I remember saying, of course, absolutely. Don't worry about talking to my wife. I'll jump into it straight away. And he goes, no, go away, pray about it, think about it, come back to me with an answer in a week. And I remember going away to my wife and she was ecstatic, excited. and. You know what, this wasn't my plan to take over the church that I got saved in. But this door opened and I, and I remember praying saying, God, I, I believe this is from you. I believe that you've positioned me uh, in this place for this very reason. So now I look back from that moment of calling to stepping into that calling was about eight years, eight years. And uh, now I look back, God was preparing me. God was sharpening, God was helping me. I set my mind, my wife and I, we kind of knew that this was the year we were gonna get sent out. We were gonna give all that we could to do that. We got busy within the church. We gave ourselves to people. Um, we really uh, honed in our life to do that. And then at that next conference, we. I, well before the conference, uh, uh, I told my dad that I was available and ready. And he, like he always does, says, um, I take that into consideration and we'll see. <laughs> but God, really, that conference got launched out and I was able to take um, a, a step of faith into the area of Norellan and Camden. And God kind of put this area on our heart. We took a drive out here, Sam and I. We drove out here feeling that this is where God wanted us to be. We felt like it was like states away. It seemed like such a long way away from Parramatta, but God really helped us. And we felt that God really wanted us here in Camden um, to start a church out here. We were fortunate enough in 2011 to be launched uh, from the Fairfield congregation. It was like one of those milestone periods of your life where you realize I've achieved something that is so significant now that only God was able to do. Don and I were so excited. Our parents came and friends from other places. We really wanted to do something for God. We said, God, we're going to hit the ground running. We had already sort of scouted the areas that we wanted to go. We had outreach in those areas as well, and street preaching in those areas, pray with people on the street. And so we knew where we were going. We virtually came into our own building straight away. We started off with 26 people in the building, our first service. I've never preached to an empty church building, praise the Lord. From the time that Din became really radically saved and on fire, to the time we finally got launched out, it was probably seven, eight years. 
But in the way team, God really, really helped form much needed character. So when I look back, it was all perfect timing. We are simply the vessels. We simply are the boots on the ground in planting churches. Uh, but when we do that, uh, God gets involved, supernatural power comes down uh, and there's an equipping far beyond uh, that man himself. Uh, and it's very humbling for a young man to be there uh, simply doing what he's been taught to do uh, and yet recognize beyond his own efforts, his best efforts, uh, God's involved, uh, people are getting saved, lives are being touched uh, and churches are being built.
time is not to build large megachurches or individual congregations of size, uh, but to build a network of churches the world over. So that in that last day's outpouring of God's Spirit and a last day's harvest of souls, uh, we're in place the world over, a fellowship footprint, a fellowship network of churches ready to reap the harvest of, of souls in the last days. Pray for converts to come in, uh, and we prayed literally for a core of people, and, and God brought the core. I prayed for musicians, God brought in musicians. The joy of seeing people genuinely get saved, uh, genuinely lives get changed, restoring families, people locking in. I stepped into that calling there, and I could say that God equips as you step out in faith. We still have much work to be done. There's much ground to be taken. There's plenty of room for disciples to launch themselves into the local harvest field and do a work for God. Let's give God a clap offering. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's have every eye bow, every eye closed tonight in the presence of the Lord tonight. Amen. I really do sense that for our church, you know, God is raising up men and women and uh, to go out into ministry. You know, this is our vision uh, to, you know what, one day we'll plant churches from this place and this will be a conference center. Trust me in that. I believe with all my heart. Acts chapter 4 verse 13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And this is the footprint of our fellowship and what we're part of is that, you know what, we're just normal everyday people with backgrounds just like ordinary men and women that come from broken homes, dysfunctional families. And just like you saw on that screen, you know what, uh, these are just as the book of Acts um, has proclaimed, that's what we're living. That when people realize, man, these guys didn't go to any Bible school. These guys didn't go and, and get a degree. Uh, they were pretty much known, listen to this, they had been with Jesus. And this is what discipleship is. That You know what, uh, the pastor uh, you know what, is under headship with his pastor and so forth. But really it comes down to the relationship with Jesus Christ. Raising men to have their own relationship with Jesus. And so, you know, as our heads are bowed, as our eyes are closed, I do sense, you know what, in this place, maybe God has put something on your heart, a call maybe. He's God's calling you. Something that's beyond yourself. Just like the disciples, they, when they were with Jesus on that boat, they forsook all and they followed Jesus. Maybe God is doing something in your heart maybe place the vision in your soul that you know what one day you're going to preach the gospel one day you're going to have your own church maybe god saved you this uh, god saved you for a purpose that during these last days he's trying to raise you up to you know what one day when you get married and one day god will call you but right now is the time where you know you got to give yourself Give yourself, submit yourself under headship. Trust in what God is doing in this place. And as you submit yourself to headship, God begin to move in your heart, begin to raise you up, discipleship. God will begin to put you in a place, a position 
Will you shepherd your own congregation one day? But before we open the altars to the church, maybe you're here in this building and you're not saved, you're not right with the Lord. You're here tonight and you know that if you were to die in your sins, you would make heaven your home. And the Bible says it's appointed for man to die once and then comes judgment. Brother, my sister, this is not the time to be playing games with church or playing games with sin. We are living in the last days. Jesus is coming back. And you're here tonight and you recognize, man, I'm away from God. I'm living in sin. I know if I was to die tonight, I wouldn't make heaven my home. Friend, God is reaching out to you. Listen, the Bible says we're saved by grace, not of works. You can't earn your way into heaven by good works. We're saved by grace. And tonight, God's grace is reaching out to you right now. And if I could ask you to do one simple thing and you lift your hand with mine and say, yes, pastor, that's me. I'm not saved. I want to give my life to Christ. Why don't you lift your hand with mine and say, yes, that's me. Pray for me. Backslider in this place, lift your hand tonight. God wants to save your soul. Lift your hand with mine and say, yes, pastor, that's me. I'm not right with God. I want to give my life tonight. That's you. You raise your hand. Lift your hand with mine and say, yes, pray for me. God loves you. He wants to save your soul.